Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment. Weekly concert listings. Weekly event listings. The environment. Travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader. Free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. Read the Chicago Reader to get up to speed on what's what in Chicago. Culture. Food. Arts and entertainment, weekly concert listings, weekly event listings, the environment, travel. I can continue, but you get the point. And for all of you Chicago political junkies, raw weekly columns on real city politics from Maya Dukmasova and our very own Ben Jarofsky. The Chicago Reader, free to the public in newsstands throughout the city and online at chicagoreader.com. Read it now and be a more informed Chicagoan. I won't just turn the car around. I'm going to shut it off, I'm going to kick you out, and I'm going to make you walk home. This Ben Jarofsky Show, Vinny J Bonus Interview, is brought to you in part by the Illinois Brotherhood of Electrical Workers Local 9, the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 150, and the Chicago Federation of Labor. Vinny J, take it away. About his time in the Ben Jarofsky Show. As I speak, it's Thursday, July 30th, 2020. Good God, July is almost at an end. Can't believe it. Where's the time gone? The front page of my beloved son, Times Home Delivered, as always, says, IHSA punts football to spring. Yeah, we're in the middle of a pandemic, ladies and gentlemen. And J.B. Pritzker has delivered a dire warning. If things don't change, reversal is where we're headed. And so they postponed fall football. They're kicking it to spring. I don't think they're going to have it in the spring. Just saying. But that's the headline in the news. So five years from now, when you're listening to this show, you go, oh, that's what's going on uh, in the news. Oh, oh I remember okay. football. <laughs> I, re- I remember football, yeah. All right, as I always do on the Ben Jurassic bonus uh, time, I ask my distinguished guest to introduce him or herself. So what I want to do here today is I'm going to ask distinguished guest L, get it L, uh, to introduce distinguished guest J, first initials only, uh, very mysterious, uh, and we'll commence with our discussion uh, because this is a cannabis conversation, uh, so I have a partner in crime with it. So, distinguished guest Al, introduce yourself. Distinguished guest Al here. Ben, someone might think you've been smoking some weed today. Uh, <laughs> it's just all the weed I smoked in the 70s catching up to me, man. I'm honest about it, okay? Well, it's Lisa Solomon here for another Cannabis Conversation. And our guest today, Joseph Friedman, a pharmacist, is a returning guest. Always love to have him on the show. He's been in the industry in Illinois since it started in 2015 when he founded and ran the 
first pharmacist-run dispensary in the state. He's since transitioned out of there and is working very deeply in the industry to actually set up educational programs by developing curriculum with some of the local universities. So Joseph Friedman, pharmacist, today we brought you on so you can talk about opioids and cannabis. And now I'm going to pass it over to you. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate the introduction. Ben, hello, Uh, Dennis, everyone here. Uh, It's a pleasure being here. And um, yeah, I'm just looking forward because this is a hot topic and there's so many subtopics having to do with cannabis. And I think the one that was picked today, cannabis and uh, opioids is a very good one. All right. Well, let's start uh, at the top. Uh, One uh, is still uh, illegal, very much illegal on the federal level. Uh, And the other one is not as uh, illegal. And I don't even know where to begin, uh, Joseph, to talk about why the different attitudes uh, toward one and the other. Could you just start with the most basic and general of questions, the different attitudes that society has uh, toward opioids versus uh, cannabis? Well, you've got, uh, you know, organizations out there that are adamantly against this industry. Um, You know, it's and, you know, one organization is that, you know, used to be at the federal level, the guy who runs it. And so he's making a lot of trouble. Um, And then you've got a guy by the name of Mike Crapo, C-R-A-P-O. I don't I'm not kidding. He's the head. He's the head of the federal finance Um, committee and he's the one that's blocking anything having to do with banking and cannabis so i don't know if he's a republican but he's got to be voted out um you know but again you know the stigma still exists today and um it's up to people like lisa and your show ben and i'm doing what i can to destigmatize the inaccuracies that have been happening with cannabis over the last 70 plus years All right, Lisa, take it away. I know you have a bunch of questions you want to ask Joseph. Right. Well, we've seen, fortunately, a trend in physicians no longer wanting to prescribe opioids or for as long as they used to. And will you share with our listeners why that is, the fear, the guilt, and how cannabis can sort of rise up or step in to help patients that are pain sufferers? Sure. And, and, you know, I think, you know, a a part of that operative question, Lisa, is the bigger question is what evidence is there that cannabis can benefit patients um, that are taking illicit and prescription opioid opioids and becoming addicted? And what specific specific recommendations can that doctor make or the patient make, you know, to help minimize and or or completely stop these dangerous and addictive substances? So, you know, I think the whole idea behind physician acceptance acceptance comes from probably get, you know, getting a free ticket to a convention and then hearing some some facts that this is beneficial. And right now those conventions aren't happening. And so we're, there's going to be a little bit of a delay with that. But I think there's more and more evidence that's showing that, you know, this is a good thing. Okay. So one issue maybe you can clarify is there are countless deaths from opioids and no deaths from cannabis. Will you explain why that happens? Well, you know, very simply, um, you know, opioids, we all have a brain and we all have a brain stem and the brain stem, uh, the medulla 
part of the brainstem has a lot of receptors in it. It has opioid receptors. And so, you know, you could go to the doctor, you know, maybe you broke your arm, he puts you on Vicodin or Oxycontin or, or something short term to address that. But that short term becomes more long term. And now you're taking more and more just to feed this addiction, this habit that you've you've acquired because you no longer have to take it for the pain, but you're taking it because now you're addicted. So a lot of patients don't even know it, but they'll take an overdose of an opioid and and they'll wake up dead the next day. Hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's just, I mean, it's, it's a funny way to put it, but, but the opioid receptors control respiration, it controls heart um, rate, it controls a lot of the things that we don't think about. And so there are a lot of deaths um, you know, over the last, you know, since 1999 to 2017, there's been over 400,000 deaths due to the opioid crisis. And that's according to the Center for Disease Control. And so if you, you do the math, that's about 60 patients a day that are dying from an opioid. Now it's going down a little bit um, in uh, 2000, from 2017 to 2018, that dipped a little bit, but still there's a lot of prescription opioid and illicit opioid deaths that are happening in this country. Now, the difference between opioids and cannabis, again, we're gonna go back to the brainstem. There are no cannabinoid receptors or very little cannabinoid receptors in the brainstem. So you can take, uh, you can back up the dump truck and try to smoke what's in there that's all cannabis in 15 minutes and probably die but it's just physically impossible to do to take as much cannabis as you would need to take to kill yourself. Okay, so since there are a lot of people who have been wanting to get off of their opioids, they've been on them for too long, they don't like the side effects, or they're having to take more and more to get pain relief, what can they do if they want to transition from opioids to cannabis? Uh, okay, well, we're getting into the meat of really the education here. And, you know, incorporating cannabis into a patient's treatment regime for opioid addiction uh, often produces promising results. Okay, so the endpoints include helping with pain and or reducing or completely el eliminating the opioid use. Um, it's common to see a significant decrease in pain and reduction and or elimination of opioids of up to 40% in most patients. In addition, improvement in quality of life as defined by improved day-to-day -day functioning is possible. And this can happen in 80 to 90% of the patients that properly incorporate cannabis into their treatment. So cannabis can, you know, it, it, cannabis may en enhance the pain relief effect of opioids. You know, the therapeutic window, which is the effective um, effective versus the lethal dose for opioids widens when cannabis is combined. So oftentimes when someone comes in, when they came into my dispensary, they were taking Vicodin or Oxycontin multiple times a day. You know, the regime that we would use, and this is actually from a pocketbook that that's put out by the, the, by the CDC, is, you know, how to taper off of opioids, but incorporate cannabis into that. We would not tell them to stop taking their opioid. I don't want them to go cold turkey. That would be very dangerous. Um, but we would start incorporating cannabis. They would start slowly decreasing their opioids um, over the course of three months. And that's how we would get them uh, 
off of or, or, or tapering down or completely off of their opioids. And there's there's a whole protocol for that. Um, Dr. Um, Dustin Sulak, he's online and he's got a whole procedure for patients to do that. And there's a lot of experts around the state of Illinois that can also help with that. Yeah, so Dr. Sulak has a website, healer.com, H-E-A-L-E-R.com. And I think those protocols are available for free on his site. I didn't realize the CDC had them. So if we're going to be suggesting patients consider making this transition, and I'm going to throw in the disclaimer here. You are, are a pharmacist. You are not the pharmacist for all the listeners here. Ben and I are not Everything here is for educational or, as some put it, entertainment purposes. Please do your due diligence. Speak to your medical providers before for making changes. Um, We have physicians that are prescribing a lot of different types of medications, um, blood thinners, blood pressure medication, and there are some known interactions with cannabis. Many of them are actually CBD, from what I understand, not THC, although there are some with that also. So I see an issue with people not being straightforward with their healthcare providers. You know, they go through the little checklist. Are you taking any illicit drugs? Are you taking herbal supplements? And I don't think a lot of people list CBD on there. So what do you think can be done to, to help that? We want the physicians to keep people safe, but if people aren't disclosing this use, the physicians, number one, don't know to address it. Number two, a lot of them know nothing about the interactions. Mm-hmm. Right. And then I, I did a check um, in 2014, a couple of professors out of the University of Washington College of Pharmacy, uh, Dr. Hanston, and I don't remember the other guy's name, did a, um, okay, well, if, if cannabis gets metabolized in the liver through the, these enzymatic processes and other drugs also follow these same pathways through the liver, you know, is there going to be an issue with drug interactions? And most of the drug interactions are drugs that are not, well, they're not opioids. They're not benzos. They're, they're antibiotics and, and more, there's blood thinners and things like that. So the issue with um, uh, opioids and benzos taken with cannabis is more of a, you know, those drugs will give you sedation. So will cannabis. And so it's sort of a synergistic kind of thing so you'll get more tired you'll have more cognitive impairment uh if you don't do this properly or or, or carefully so are you saying uh joseph that uh if you have an addiction i want to make sure i'm I'm understanding you clearly if you uh have developed an addiction to opioids that smoking marijuana smoking cannabis can eventually wean you of that addiction is that what you're saying well, well, Ben, you know, I, I wouldn't uh, uh, call it smoking cannabis. Would we? I'm sorry. Yes, no, no, that's, that, that, that's okay. I mean, there, there's other, you know, smoking, you know, combusting or vaporizing cannabis. Uh, I always consider that a um, a fire extinguisher. So if you're having withdrawal symptoms, you know, take take a hit or two on a joint or a vaporizer, and that could get you through a rough patch. Mm-hmm. Um, more. More so to your question, Ben, is using edibles, using tablets and capsules and other routes of administration products that we have to get them on a maintenance dose. So, for example, 
um, you know, one method is is a low dose of cannabis with every dose of the opioid. You know, the, the starting and maintenance dose range is dependent on several factors. You know, the patient's age, current and past use of cannabis, comfort level using cannabis, severity of condition, and if they have any other, you know, comorbidities or other, you know, maladies that are going on with their health. Um, the dose of THC should receive very careful attention due to its psychoactivity. CBD doesn't have the psychoactive, psychoactive component and therefore can be dosed more liberally, but it's always best to recommend the lowest effective dose to help the patient avoid building tolerance. And, and so I, I can get into some of the details of that, but um, you know, we really wanna get on a maintenance dose and follow that patient for weeks or maybe even months to get them completely weaned off of their opioid. Um, and just go into a little bit of specific specificity when you said dose of uh, psycho, what am I writing down the words? I can't even read my uh, uh, writing, uh, but you were talking about doses uh, that cause of psychoactivity. I think that's what I wrote down. Where, yeah. where were you getting at, Joseph? Well, well, THC, you know, has properties that are going to get you high. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, back in the day that, uh, Toked on a joint, got high, and that's the THC component, not the CBD component. I don't think CBD was even known back then. Mm -hmm. uh, so psychoactivity is something that we want to be careful about because the THC that's in today's cannabis products can be psychoactive, and we want to be careful about that. But THC can also be very helpful because it has anti-inflammatory effects. It's got, you know, pain, you know, uh, uh, analgesic effects and other effects that would be helpful combined with CBD to help with um, opioid addiction and pain and, and withdrawal problems. Right. Joseph just touched on an important point. Today's cannabis is a much higher THC content than it did years ago. And that's why it's important to be an informed consumer. If you go into a dispensary, whether or not you have a medical card, if you're going into a rec dispensary or medical, it's pretty much the same products. Right now in Illinois, you have more options with a medical card because of the current limited supply. But you need to look at the amount of THC. As you get closer to an equal amount of THC and CBD, you're less likely to get a high feeling. Some people need more CBD than THC to balance that out, but there are options for healing without the high. So people who want to transition off of opioids, this is why it's helpful to have a pharmacist or medical professional. You need to find your body's balance point because every body is different. Exactly. And, you know, the, the cannabis can be taken three to four times a day with, or with every dose of an opioid drug. And it's suggested to your point, Lisa, to uh, use a suggested ratio of one to one THC to CBD um, and start at a very low dose. Uh, you know, sometimes a very low dose is beneficial. If there's no effect, uh, then we can always titrate up, but titrate up slowly. Right. And Joseph earlier alluded to building up a tolerance. Some people build up a tolerance to, C to THC rather quickly. Others don't seem to as quickly. I haven't seen anything to explain why. But Dr. Sulak at Healer.com also has protocols for resetting your THC tolerance level. For those who are able to take a couple of days off, you just go without, use CBD, and it can reset. But if a low dose of THC is not helping with your pain, 
as Joseph just said, you can build up the amount of THC so you're less likely to feel high if you're wanting to avoid that. Right. And or or you can even start with a four to one CBD over THC ratio if you do have that sensitivity to THC. And, um, you know, we, we, we spoke about this at, uh, during another show, um, you know, the tolerance reset. Um, oh, God, what's the name of the product that I mentioned? Um, undo. Undo. Yeah. Yeah. Undo. <laughs> what a memory. <laughs> you had passed Trump's cognitive test, uh, Lisa. Didn't know there was one for him. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's, so, not, that's not how to do, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, I cut you off, Joseph. F- finish your thought. Well, well, that's okay. Um, so, so the tolerance reset, you know, can be done through abstinence or it can be done through something like undo, U-N-D-O-O. Uh, jo- Joseph, I want to follow up on something that uh, Lisa said, and I'd love to hear you go off on this uh, a bit. Lisa, you said build up a tolerance to THC uh, as though that was a, success, a goal that people would have. Uh, so wh- what does that mean? having a tolerance, building up a tolerance to THC. I'll throw something in quickly, then I'll let Joseph take over. So people who smoke to get high don't want to build up a tolerance because it's just going to cost them more and more to do it. Um, But those who are using it for medical purposes, some protocols to work with some certain diseases require high doses of THC. People don't want to be on the couch stoned all day. Mm. So people will build up their tolerance. But, but, but here's, here's, here's a, an interesting story because THC is still going to be effective even though you build up a tolerance to the psychoactivity. Mm-hmm. And case in point, um, Glaucoma Jim, he's a guy, he's from California, he's from, he lives in Arizona, but he did have some cannabis stores and he, he his entire family has glaucoma They've all gone blind. Um, uh, Jim himself tried, you know, restasis and all the drugs for glaucoma. He had bad reactions. And the only thing that keeps his interocular pressure down is a steady dose of cannabis. Now, he, he needs to take a lot to do that. Um, and he's built up a tolerance. I mean, he can take a lot in the course of a day and not have any psychoactivity or, or get high. Joseph, we're talking here about uh, the, the, the contrast between opioids and uh, cannabis. Uh, you've been in this uh, the business for a long time. Why is it or how is it that uh, the opioid uh, industry got such a foothold uh, with the doctors and the pharmacists of our country? Go ahead. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it starts, you know, decades ago with, you know, coming out with these these very potent um, products for pain, you know, going beyond aspirin and Tylenol. And, and, you know, just in the last couple of years, uh, the companies that have produced Oxycontin and fentanyl patches have come under incredible fire for contributing to the opioid epidemic. Uh, Purdue Pharma is one company, the Sackler family, um, there's about 20 members in that family with a net worth of about $13 billion. Um, <laughs> they're the 19th wealthiest family in the U.S. There was $35 billion in Oxycontin sales. So, and, and, and they touted it as, you know, short, uh, you know, very potent, you know, for pain and it works great. You know, Johnson and Johnson, 
Um, they've got a, a subsidy. Uh, they've got a sub company called Janssen Pharmaceuticals, and they have the fentanyl patch. And these are all touted as great uh, drugs for pain. And and they, they really went around the whole issue of addiction and 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 the problems that have caused from their products. And they've been sued. I mean, uh, in two thousand and seventeen, I believe uh, they offered to. Uh, pay ten to twelve billion dollars to settle over two thousand opioid lawsuits, and 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 Johnson and Johnson paid a hefty sum as well, five hundred and seventy billion dollars, um, for the lawsuits that were against them. So so I think Ben, to your question, uh, it's like anything else. We thought it was safe. We thought cigarette smoking was safe, right? In the sixties, everyone was smoking cigarettes. Same thing with opioids. Now, the the opposition out there is saying that cannabis today, 10 years, 20 years from now, is going to have the same issues. I don't believe so. Well, all right, let's get into that. First of all, it's not like uh, people haven't been using cannabis. Uh, It's not like people just started using cannabis when it became legal. Uh, People have been using cannabis a long, long time. I can speak uh, from experience. Uh, and so there's plenty of research out there, uh, Joseph, what I'm getting at to, to sort of undercut that theory. I don't believe there's a level playing field. I want you to get into this as a pharmacist. In other words, when you have the arguments uh, for opioids, against opioids, it's taken this long to build sort of a natural, uh, a national consensus that they're damaging. When you went forth, uh, you just the last time you were on your show, you were talking about a debate you had uh, with from uh, I think it was a lawyer who was saying that there's tremendous dangers from a cannabis. And so I just I don't think it's like there's a bias against cannabis uh, that colors our conversation about it, Joseph, that is non-existent, in my humble opinion, with opioids up until now. And that's why, that's when I'm answering my own question, that's part of the reason why they got the foothold. Do you follow what I'm saying? It's like sure. there's an instinctive reaction in this country to, to preach against using uh, cannabis or any cannabis-related products. But we don't have that instinctive reaction when it comes to these other pharmaceuticals, that's I don't think there's a loving a level playing field is what I'm getting at when we just even have the initial discussion with pharmacists like yourself. Do you agree with me? Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, there is a, there is a use for opioids. I mean, you break your leg, you know, you, you're in a lot of pain. A short course of it can, can really bring you over that hump. Uh, it's just when you take it longer, that's when the problems begin. And, you know, with 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 cannabis and, you know, there's there's a history here, thousands of years of use without any one dying from from an overdose. And, you know, that 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 uh, lawyer that you mentioned uh, who wants to sue everyone in the cannabis industry because of, you know, it's against federal law to be in the industry, even people like me that are doing it the right way. Um, and I called him an ambulance chaser towards the end of the debate because that's what he is. He's an opportunist and an ambulance chaser. And let him go after the bad guys, the guys that are making these 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 untested products and, and selling them to kids. Yeah, there's there's bad players in every industry. And there certainly are bad players in the cannabis industry. I want to circle back a minute where well, we were talking about 
people going to see a pharmacist or a physician for advice. Joseph, are you available to consult with people? And if so, how do they reach you? And you and I both know some practices here that have had great success working with people. I want to let people know what to do. Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think just messaging me or connecting with me on LinkedIn is a good way to do that. Uh, I'm very responsive to any messages I get or any uh, invites I get on LinkedIn. So we can go do it that way. Great. Thank you. And Dr. Leslie Mendoza Temple, who is head of the Integrative Medicine Group at North Shore Health Systems, was the chair of the Illinois Cannabis Commission until it was disbanded a couple of years ago. And that entire group, I think most of them, all physicians will work with patients to sure. help them transition so they can get physician support. And there are some other wonderful groups. You can find me on Facebook, Lisa the Cannabis Guru. If you private message me, I'll send you a list of groups that you can check out and find one that you're comfortable with. Yeah, uh, Leslie Mendoza Temple is fantastic, very knowledgeable. Uh, she's very busy. I, I understand that it, it takes uh, you know several months to get an appointment with her. So that's you know that's that's something that people should know. Right, right. We've got Green Care Medical, Neuro Medici Health. So there are other groups out there with knowledgeable physicians that have experience doing this. And the protocols you can take them from online, you can download them and look at them, but use your own judgment as to whether or not you think it's okay to do that on your own or whether you should get medical guidance. And I think it's a good idea, you know, to get comfortable with your dispensary staff. Uh, I just learned that there's actually a um, dispensary in Quincy, Illinois, that has a full-time pharmacist on board there. So I, I was surprised to hear that. Herbal Remedies is the name of the dispensary in Quincy, Illinois. And I had a conversation with the guy and he's very knowledgeable and I'm sure could help as well. Joseph, how, when did you start making the transition uh, in, uh, into cannabis? But I mean, I'm, this was not something you learned as a young scholar in pharmacy school. So how did you pick up on all this? I became a quick study in 2013 um, when I when I knew Illinois was going to uh, have dispensary licenses um, at some point. I visited dispensaries in Colorado and I met with owners and and I just uh, dove in to the whole idea of opening up a dispensary. I, I, did, I had no idea I was going to be successful getting one of those licenses, but we did um, open up in 2000, in December of 2015. Now, Ben, to your point, you know, the first week when I had patients come in and, and they were sitting on the other side of the desk in the consultation room with me, I was like a deer in headlights. I mean, you know, we had so many products that we could uh, offer them and you know, I would listen to them talk about what was wrong with them. I mean, it was a process. And I'd say within six months to a year, uh, we honed in and, you know, any patient that had a question, uh, we have I, I have ties to all kinds of research, people that are doing things. There's just one doctor in Colorado who specifically treats cancer patients with cannabis. So I develop a relationship with him. And then just the word got out. So it was it was a learning process over the course of time. All right. Yeah. And again, we're waiting for that federal legalization so there can be more research. And hopefully at that point, it will be added to the curriculum of every medical school. 
every pharmacy school and people will get past the fear of being stigmatized or judged for using it and they will feel comfortable being open with their healthcare providers. Right. And, and again, you know, finding a good dispensary staff is, is key here. You know, people that are not only familiar with cannabis, but also have some background in healthcare would be very helpful. Do you think there's going to be a backlash? Uh, you talked about the, the opioid industry. Do you think there's going to be a backlash uh, from that industry as they see uh, cannabis become legalized throughout the country in order to prevent the erosion of their product to sort of protect their product in the marketplace. Do you think they're going to come at you guys really hard and try to accentuate whatever negativity they can, they can find about cannabis? Well, I don't think we have to pretend that there's negativity associated with, you know, the pharmaceutical companies that sell opioids and benzos, but uh, there's a lot of companies that sell products for anxiety, depression, uh, you know, a lot of other things that cannabis can be very helpful for. And that's where I think the um, pharmaceutical lobbyists are having, uh, you know, they're, they're digging in deep into their pockets and things are happening in Washington, keeping cannabis at, at a schedule one or an illegal status. It's very sad since so many people can be helped with cannabis with fewer side effects. It's a shame that there are people trying to shut that down. Yeah, just think about the cancer patient who who's losing weight can't eat. I'm not saying that that cannabis is the answer to cancer, but I'm saying it could really help with the palliative side of what that patient's experiencing, the pain, the sleep, the hunger, you know, the appetite, things like that. You talked earlier about reducing the pain. I wrote this down uh, and, you, and I want to make sure I got this right. You, I, you said up to 40% reduction in pain uh, as could you go, uh, go into that a little more detail, uh, Joseph? I wrote that down with a question mark and I wanted you to go into a little more detail about that. Well, we'll think about it, Ben. If, if you walk into a doctor's office and, and they, they give you that chart that shows the different faces, you know, how much pain are you in, you know, on a one to 10 scale uh, and you're at a 12 uh, and, and you use cannabis and that brings it down to a five. Now, five is not great, but it's certainly better than 12. So I'm not saying that cannabis is the silver bullet for every patient that has any kind of pain but it certainly can help a lot of people reduce their pain. And some people, it really helps to eliminate it. And some people say it doesn't make a difference in them. So again, neither Joseph nor I are saying that this is the answer for everyone, but it is a great answer for a lot of people. And that's why we advocate and have all the conversations that we do because we want to raise awareness and hope that there can be more research and easier access. I, I think the bottom line is, is that it's something worth trying, uh, you know, to avoid taking a lot of these other medications or to get off a lot of these other medications that over time are going to do you more harm than good. Uh, Joseph, I want to, uh, close down by diverting to something else. I told you I was going to do this. So here we go. Uh, a little while ago, I wrote a, a, a story for the reader 
for the Reader Newsletter, I was reminiscing about uh, Harold Washington, mayor of Chicago, and you uh, waited, you saw the story, and you said when you were a young pharmacist at La Rabita uh, Hospital in Chicago, you met Harold Washington. And Joseph, like having you say, talk about yourself as a young pharmacist as La Rabita, it's almost like bumping into my teacher in a grocery store. Uh, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like it's, it, it was seeing you in an environment that I hadn't normally uh, seen you or talking to you in an environment, thinking about you in terms differently than the guru about cannabis uh, and how it can help uh, your aches and pain, deal with your aches and pains. Just talk a little bit about your background uh, and your days at Laura Vita back in the early 80s. Uh, yeah, I, you know, La Rabita, it, it, <clears throat> I mean, it's a beautiful location. It juts out into Lake Michigan. The pharmacy department had a big window looking right out onto the lake and it's different every day. And um, I was uh, assistant director of pharmacy there. And it was, you know, La Rabita is an interesting place. They're associated with Weiler's Children's Hospital um, that's associated with the University of Chicago. And so you've got really sick kids there for long periods of time at La Rabita. And, um, you know, and, and one day, you know, we, we just got word that, you know, Harold Washington was, was the mayor and he was coming to La Rabita, uh, to be with the kids. And I went into, there was a, like a, like a big playroom, you know, where all the kids were around and, and, uh, mayor Washington is sitting on an, on a little chair with all these little kids sitting on little chairs with, with their tubes and their respirators and things like that. And he's reading them, um, He's reading them stories and it was just, it was such a warming experience seeing that mayor, you know, with, with all those kids. Mm. I just can't get over uh, this, my image of a a young Joseph Friedman uh, at La Rabita back in the 1980s. It's something that's going to stick with me for a long time. Very Uh, cool. Uh, at least you got any more questions before Joseph, for, for Joseph, before I steer things to my questions to you about the reader. No, Joseph, thank you for coming on and for enlightening people and for continuing to do the work you're doing. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Ben. All right. Very good. Now, Lisa, before we let you go, uh, give us uh, any updates. Lisa's my partner, Crime at The Reader. And anything people should know uh, about uh, fundraising endeavors by The Reader, special promotions by The Reader, anything. All the good news for The Reader. We've got some amazing products. Lior Galileo, one of our longtime music writers, has a new book that's come out. If you go to chicagoreader.com slash support, you'll see his book the cookbook we've got great t-shirts and hoodies up there now chicago reader masks and we recently started doing home delivery for a fee to people who want to make sure they get every issue of the reader you can do 12 weeks you can do a year or two years and all that money helps to support the editorial efforts of great writers like ben so (laughs) so thank you lisa (laughs) well uh, I have to say this, um, the reader, uh, Tracy Bame, our fearless leader at the reader, uh, told me in May, I think it was, uh, that she wanted me to do what Lior did and come out with a compilation of some of my favorite articles down through the years. Uh, I have many more years to go through than Lior. I'm much older than Lior. And uh, so I, 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 I got over to panic, uh, Joseph and Lisa. I, I went to the... Uh, the archives. I dealt. I, I may have dealt medicinally with the panic, with the help of cannabis. Just kidding, Joseph. <laughs> and uh, uh, I hear help. I hear. I hear it does wonders for anxiety. 
Uh, although for some people, it, it actually aggravates the anxiety. So I should throw that out there. Um, but anyway, I finally, last night, got it together, Lisa, and completed the compilation. Some articles that go back to 1984. Good God, I'm old. And uh, I know. <laughs> it's, 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 they weren't even on the Internet. So someone at the reader is going to have to uh, type them in or uh, scan them. And I don't know how they're going to do it anyway. So I uh, wrote a little introduction. So that will be available. I'm not quite sure when it'll be available. Probably in September. Uh, this will be a follow-up to what Lior did. So, yeah, the reader's hanging in there. When young Joseph Friedman was a, a scholar at Sullivan High School, the reader was just coming out. And he would be reading it and hanging out at those clubs in Rogers Park and all that good stuff. And we're still here, Joseph, you, me, and the reader. How about that? All cool stuff. All cool stuff. All right. I want to thank Joseph Friedman, and I want to thank uh, Lisa Solomon uh, for being my guest, Cannabis Conversation. It's another bonus show on the Ben Jarowski Show. Take care, everybody.